You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni in Yerushalayim, Irak Yiddish. You know, Yerushalayim, I guess, is not really uh, Sam. It's not Shanghai. It's not Hong Kong. Uh, but there are places uh, in Harnof, specifically, I'm thinking about, that when one enters into that area, it's almost like a, a dystopian future vision that, that we used to read about in the 60s and 70s of what the world was going to look like. Uh, huge apartment buildings rising from one street into another, almost um, incomprehensible where you are. You're living on top of someone. You have an ad- you have an address and you have a place where your mail is delivered, but you realize that there are people on top of you, people below you, people on the side. Um, it's not, like I say, it's not the per capita, the most crowded city, but clearly for someone like yourself, Sam, who started off in... Brooklyn, where at least you you knew you had a detached house, and uh, you recognized the type of freedom you had, and 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 an ability to stride as master of your domain. You then jettisoned yourself and inserted yourself into a place where, even in your apartment, you have to worry about the neighbors on top, the neighbors below. Um, what I, as, as a keen observer of the way, talking about the difference between a city that, uh, you know, is, is, is decently populated, but with, you know, basically there's people have their own yards and their own space, to going to a spot like where you are or other cities where uh, by, you are forced to navigate and compromise in order to live and have your own uh, sense of freedom, but understanding how you're impacting others continuously. What does that do to a person, Sam? What does that do to the type of, uh, when you raise children and adults? What you're raising just on the practical level is a major challenge, and that is going from a situation where you basically have your own homestead, your own turf, and where you interact with others um, based on what you want to do and not what you have to do. And marginally, you have to have some interactions, but you can be a downright hermit. Not only if you uh, you grow up on some farm, but even if you grow up in Brooklyn or you lived in Brooklyn, I didn't have to interact with any people on a personal level almost ever. And then... The interactions I did have, you know, with the delivery boy or with the uh, bank, you know, kind of cursory, and most of that is done online as well. So I had the option. I did interact with people, but it was based on my own volition. And then when you come into a situation where people are sardined, um, both administratively and also physically, it's hard to do your own thing, so to speak. Almost any time you do your own thing, there's somebody else involved with it. So on a practical level, that's a major challenge. And that has major implications, depending on just how extroverted and introverted you are. For some people, it's a pleasure uh, living in a bungalow colony all of a sudden. And for some people, it's hell, because I, I don't want to interact with all these people. I want to do my own thing and read my own tea and read my own paper. So practically speaking, there's a bunch to talk about. But again, I'm not an urban engineer, so I think you'll do better 
um, getting someone who is really into the uh, pros and cons of getting along and cooperation, whatever. I want to talk, of course, about the, the psychological aspects of this. And um, the concept I want to talk about is something called ego boundaries. In other words, for most of us, uh, when you talk a medical point of view, um, we are our physical body and that uh, the outline of the body basically outlines just who we are and everything outside, outside that body is something else. Psychologically, that's not really the case. For instance, a child uh, developing in the early um, years does not really see him or herself as distinct from the mother, from the father, from the family, from even other kinds of people they interact with regularly. And it, it's almost a lifelong psychological um, mission to limit yourself and to delineate yourself saying, this is me and this is someone else. And hence you have the, the terrible twos, you have um, the, the uh, problems during the latency age, you have the teenage rebellion, you have the midlife crisis. All of that is basically saying, well, no, no, this is you, this is whatever, I'm someone else. And that's not such a simple process. It never ends, by the way, because especially when we go into people's dreams and fantasies, they still see themselves as one and collected and glued together with um major figures in their life, and many of them never even get out at all, because as soon as the mother starts to recede from the ego boundaries, um, the spouse comes in and then implants themselves firmly within one's inner space. So basically, there are two um, uh, primary internal mechanisms that are the gatekeepers of what we call an ego boundary. One of them is called projection, one of them is called introjection. And um, projection is essentially the process whereby the ego, ego means I uh, in, in Latin, the ego decides what aspects of what they consider part of themselves is no longer part of themselves now. And usually it's unacceptable aspects. Sometimes it's images of people, relationships with people. One day saying, okay, you're out of here. This is no longer part of me, whether it be certain attitudes, whether it be certain kinds of preferences, whether it be beliefs, uh, convictions, moral stuff, projection is out. And then there's a complementary process which works the other way, which is interjection. When you find stuff on the outside, concepts, ideas, or even people that you... Uh, would like to um, unconsciously usually incorporate, you interject them and then they become part of you. So we constantly have an interjection projection process, which is, um, shall we stay homeostatically going back and forth, defining who we are. Um, the practical has a major um, impact on the psychological because since we cannot function under sardine situations independently, since every time you move or do something or decide to do any kind of change, other people are going to be affected and they're going to be inputting and pulling you in different directions. It sometimes um, leads you to think, okay, I am no longer on my own turf on a practical level. I'm linked in the inextricably to other people, but psychologically it does the same. When you can't really do anything without having other people chime in, inevitably they become part of your own process of self-reflection. 
it's always bubbled the rabbi say, what will the neighbors say? What will the um, the uh, the vat buy it or the management of the house say? What will um, the um, tax man say or the policeman say or whatever it is? And they start encroaching into your own identity of who you are. You're no longer you. You're like you with various appendages, almost like you had some um, artificial limbs grafted onto you which you have to pay homage to. You can't just ignore that. And for, I would say that from a mental health point of view, these um, aspects play much more havoc with your peace of mind and your sense of self and your sense of happiness or despair than do the practical issues saying, well, you know, there's no way I could even hang something on my front porch without being afraid that the director of the Vat Bayit will come up and say, no, you can only have green. We've had that. Oh, no, only green-colored canopies that match the railing because that's how it is in a certain clause of the contracts that you signed when you signed 500 papers to buy this condo. And it goes much more beyond there. Um, what you can do, whom to schedule, what kind of parties, um, you name it, it's there. Oh, especially so, so. In the era of COVID, it's, it's phenomenal what kind of controls there are. But the point is you start, in a sense, either losing who you are or having to pull in aspects that you'd never want to be part of you. So, so let, let, let me put it in perspective uh, again, almost like concentric circles. You have the most intense concentric circle, which is your wife and, and your children. And then you have your friends. And then you have the people that you work with, uh, maybe the people that are part of your shul. And all of them have relatively, you know, have certain relative. If I, if I may, let's just be PC here and say your husband etc just to make it reflective so it'll be don't shut out half of the world okay but you understand you 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 so that you know in a certain sense has a certain health and understanding but as as you as you're implying when you push yourself and 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 let's say for in your in your case uh your you esther and yours desire was for noble and um religious altruistic reasons to Put yourself into this world, and look what it look what it comes with. It comes with uh, absorbing and accepting this all this new baggage. Now, now, b- both of you, because and, you- and some of some of it is not negative baggage, because there's no question that our sense of Jewish identity has increased tremendously here, simply because all these clowns are now part of our guts. <laughs> right, but 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 I think both of you are in a way immunized from altering the essence of who you are. And you're, again, it's an aggravation because you came as pretty much formed people. And even though you're now sort of in this, it's almost like you're in a, uh, you're, you're like in an airport terminal hell for a long time, but you're still who you are. You're still the, the person who got to the airport with the baggage. What I'm, what I'm thinking about, Sam, is the kids that are raised within this sardine can. And, you know, it's, uh, they are almost like a, a different being than those that are raised somewhere else, right? They, 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 they have to be, they have to be allowed. Um, the, that there's sort of like bands of them, like out everywhere, right? They're sort of like, you know, they're finding some sort of open space to go to. 
and they're and, and they're like all banded out together, almost to a, almost like in a, in, I don't know if it's if it's like a, a tribal sense, but 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 it's almost like you don't have like oh here's the family now we go over to these people because they're our friends. Um, the, the desire to have some sort of space you you're not going to have any private backyard you're going to have to like share the turf with all the kids from everywhere and and, and you see that really on display don't you so let me say that you're painting a very uh, um keen and scary picture just of the practical aspects over here but you have to understand that i come like from a totally different dimension. So what I want to say is that psychologically, or at least psychodynamically, or worse yet, from a Freudian perspective, um, these issues are just um, the um, outside manifestations of what really bothers people under these circumstances. And what I submit is what bothers them are in fact childish conflicts or childhood conflicts that they never mastered. In other words, what bothers a normal person, at least if you want to look into an adult's dreams and see what's happening as they're undergoing this kind of adjustment where they're going from, let's say, a, a fairly independent existence into a squeezed frying pan. What's going on there is that the old issues are coming up again. In other words, when you become your own person and you leave um, significant others behind in terms and you push them, project them out into your periphery, you do that half-heartedly because in your heart of hearts, they're still there. So it's in a sense, it's an asymptote. You're fighting against that and you finally get to the point where you manage to convince yourself that you are yourself and you have your own values. And then bang, you're thrown right back regressively into where you were. So what I'm saying is that from usually, let's say, from a normal perspective, although with people who get disturbed. There are people who have breakdowns under such situations, especially when the screws are turned. Like we see some people who are breaking down because of illness, anxiety, but the breakdown becomes in terms of identity. Who am I? And what they get into are old issues, old childhood issues. You know, their dreams consist of um, their little brother taking away their toys or their mother going into their private drawers and checking, you know, who their contacts are. That's how it gets symbolized in dreams. And in a sense, what that is, is really the core of who am I, which then gets, gets dressed up on these issues. In other words, from a developmental point of view, um, nothing that happens in an advanced age in life or even an adult life really affects your inner workings that much. They're really, a, if the, when they're affected, it means that it harkens back to old issues that have not been resolved. So I'm not saying necessarily that practical issues will not get on people's nerves. They will get on people's nerves. But what I say in terms of psychiatric health, those that are most damaging are those that resonate with the old adjustments that you thought you made. And now, boom, they're back to haunt you again. It's almost like finding out that a, an illness which you were sure was past the child who grows up in Brooklyn or Elizabeth, New Jersey or Cherry Hill and basically is not forced by external uh, situations, external uh, introjects, so to speak, to incorporate them, kind of can is allowed to at least consciously come up with an image of who they are versus a child who's raised in a sardine situation in the tenements of the early 1900s yes. in New York or here. 
they never get a chance even on the overt level to see themselves without you know dogs or people or, or, or ogres nipping at their elbows right they never get the chance right. to just float on their own yes. so whereas let's say um someone who grew up um or, or at least got to live for a long time so to speak in their own little turf and then gets thrown back into this um a, a melting pot of your shalayim at this age contrast me to someone who gets raised that was, that's where I was trying to get to. Right, right. And those people have, <laughs> there's nothing to harken back to. It's always been the yes. sardine, going from one sardine to the other, having different layers. And even as you manage to bail out the water and extraject some of these forces that you don't want to be part of you, the others are still here and they don't let off. I mean, when I was, you know, say in Brooklyn, when did I ever interact with a policeman? You know, or with a garbage man, you know, rarely. And here, there's no avoiding. There's just no avoiding. So, so would you say that, that, and we take child, Brooklyn child versus Arnov child, where, who, which child would you think? Now, again, there's always all these other factors of who the parents are and, and, and what was the DNA of, of, of that they have bequeathed to their child. But let's just assume all other things being equal. Would you say that the, um, the, what would be the psychological health of one versus the other? Okay, I would say definitely in, in terms of having a, a, an autonomous self-identity, the people who grew up in congested areas lose out. Okay. Because I, I would say unconsciously, nobody really gets there. But at least at, at, at a certain level of adjustment, you think you have it and you can behave that way, whereas these kids never do. They go from one system to another, right into Cheder, right into this, and in certain uh, situations, right into a new culture and marriage and whatever it is, they never get out. They never get out. So is that good? From a uh, Western perspective, no, it's not good because they never develop a sense of themselves independent of all these other forces okay. and socializers. From a non-Western perspective, including the Orthodox Jewish perspective, the idea is good. You're growing up as a community person with an understanding that you are part of the overall system here and you can't just think of yourself independently. Thoreau is like a, <laughs> a horrible word. You just don't do that. So Again, with my value system, I think it's bad. And of course, when I see people, patients, I say, okay, I see this person never had a chance, you know, to walk on their own without having these 50 crutches thrust at him, whether he wanted it or not. But from a different perspective, that might say, fine, we're developing a societally responsible person who realizes that they don't see themselves as distinct from the others. And I should say, what I know Western, I'm including very much um, Chinese and Japanese way of looking at things. And then I know, I don't know Africa well, but definitely the parts of Africa that I do know, um, the notion is also, you don't exist as someone without this um, culture that you're very much part of. You can't even think of yourself. And I know the situations where um, anybody hardly knows the individual names of certain family members. It's just this clan or that group or that area, and that's it. And you're just one of those, one of many. And and what I want to add is that the, the participants themselves think of themselves that way. They don't say, it's my name, just these guys don't know what it is. No, I'm just one of these people. With the, with the implications of replaceability and non-distinctness, which makes a big difference, again, using Western glasses.
you know, I, I think that, and again, part of what I'm going to say now is was was culled from, uh, you know, Western reports and and magazines. But one of the things that we've had to own up to is the incredible test scores that countries like Japan uh, consistently score higher, uh, the amount of, of, of the lack of unemployment, the ability of the workforce to function at peak levels. But what has been also underscored at the same time is the lack of creativity and inventiveness and ability to sometimes turn everything upside down and come up with something new. There were situations where Japan, despite outstripping the United States in terms of the scores of, you know, on, on, on various achievement tests, but still the Nobel Prize winners or the people that were becoming, inventing and, and, and you know, opening up new vistas of thought were still coming from the United mm-hmm. States and other Western areas. So, mm-hmm. and, and, and so you, you definitely sac- you sacrifice one from the other. On, on total, you have much less um, uh, illiteracy and uh, you know, people at the bottom of the educational ladder, but you sacrifice, as you say, that indiv- individualism and ability to sometimes think outside of the box. Now, look, everybody is going to want to model themselves after, you know, Eretz Yisrael, despite it, it crowing and, and, and pointing to itself as this, you know, thinking out of the box, the type of lifestyle that is there. And I'm going to say it's not just for the Haredim. It's, 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 it's for everyone because everybody is living in some sort of sardine area, even many of the Chilonim. So they might be sacrificing that type of individualistic thinking that could generate those type of breakthroughs. I would just add the sardine also exists on the emotional level. In other words, in the United States, uh, there are youngsters who can go through their entire life from then when they're born till they die, never thinking about defending the country, never thinking about the fact that everybody is a soldier, armed services, everybody's kid is out on the front. There isn't that kind of glue because it's a paid army and it's large enough. So we don't have to think about such things. Here, every citizen, everybody on the street, every kid realizes, hey, we better, we'll never know what happens. We have to know how to get away. We have to think as a group. Otherwise, we can be picked off. So it, it exists not just at the physical realm. And there, you, you're correct. It has nothing to do with Haredi or has nothing to do with orthodoxy. It has to do with living in a country that feels itself imperiled and that people on the individual level feel endangered as well. It's not just leave that up to the government. Think about Biden signing many... Many people in the United States don't even know who the president is. They couldn't care less. It never makes a difference to them. And here, whoever is the president or prime minister will have repercussions on me within a week, within a week, in terms of milk prices, in terms of draft, in terms of my ability to, um, to uh, uh, do certain things, drive to certain places, go to certain, fly out, fly in. So it's a uh, much more um, sardinized emotional way of living. Sure. Okay. Well, again, it's hard to put a uh, sub, you know an objective number on you know patriotism, um, especially since you know again you know we've talked about the siege mentality in Israel, uh, which sort of you know it, it's it, which I don't think is is true in Japan and these other countries. Um, you know, there's I, I, you'd have to take a look and see what sort of patriotism level there is 
in, in these other areas. I think in Israel, you know, it's complicated by the images of, of, of young children being killed, of terrorism uh, striking at the heart of people that you know or people that you know that, you, that, you, that look just like you. So I think that that, that, that you know, congeals a lot of that type of feeling. I'm not sure if you need the sardine element to do that, but clearly it, 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 it can make it stronger. Let me ask you another thing. You, you alluded before to sort of some, um, somewhat sometimes of the idiotic type of um, rules and regulations. Why do you think people are resorting to that? I mean, are they really so concerned that the windows of your high rise all have a unified look? Is some of that somewhat, somewhat like of a, like of, like of the coping mechanism? I sort of compare it, Sam, to you know these Gabayim and Shul who um, love shushing, love telling people that their mask is not on their nose. Uh, people who I remember meeting people who were like the Tefillin police going around and making sure that everybody's uh, show Roche is exactly uh, on top of their nose and on the right spot of their hair. I mean, what it sounds like this type of living brings it out in people. Is it possible? I'm, I'm, I'm just speculating that it's a, it's a way to, in a society where you're basically powerless because of <laughs> being a sardine, this is a way for you to sort of like, you know, crow and, and exert something over somebody else. So if you can get on that VOD and, 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 you know, and tell the Junies that you don't like, you know, the color of their potted plants, you know, you feel like, oh, I'm in power. I've, I've actually achieved something. E- even though you, you realize how insignificant and silly. It's appalled in the beginning is the, what I call the Middle Eastern mentality, which cuts across. I've seen it in the Arabs very much as well, um, which is, People looking out for themselves, period. Like at the beginning, I was appalled. People just would not wear masks at all. And, you know, I talked to them, you know, trying to understand them. The idea is they're looking out for themselves, for everybody else, let everybody look out for themselves. So what I found over here in general, just talking in terms of being a member of these uh, Vat Vayat stuff for a while and seeing how it works, um, people here... um, don't generally find out what the rules are about anything. In other words, they will assume I can do anything until I'm stopped. So if you look at parking, for instance, the idea of a sidewalk versus the um, uh, street itself doesn't exist. I mean, nobody will bother. I mean, I remember in New York, I used to be careful, I was afraid of tickets, okay? That if my, one of the wheels on the sidewalk, I'm going to get a ticket. Here, if you find a car that doesn't have two wheels on the sidewalk, you kind of wonder what's going on. Why did this guy, the guy actually bothered backing up and the woman started to straighten the wheels? Why would you do that? And then it goes further. So you park anywhere. If you don't get tickets, you will park in driveways. You will park in middle of the street. I remember being appalled. Again, this is somebody from a, a Hasidic culture whose kids were friends with mine and he'd come visit us. And we lived on a wide street, East 19th. Uh, so he would park his car as he's driving, stop his car and get out. Now, East 19th is a wide street, so there's actually room for two lanes. People would get around him, but I'm sure he would do the same on the first street. I remember here we had to go for um, COVID testing and I had to get it done instantly because I was going to fly. So I went to a Hasidic neighborhood. So there I go into the street and the guy stopped his truck because he's just going in for a couple of minutes. That's the end of traffic. It's a narrow street. There's a guy behind me. I can't back up. And that's it. And it looks like they don't give too many tickets there. So that's the mimic. You stop your truck wherever you are and go in and then let people yell. 
So here too, let's say in our garage, right? If the VAD doesn't put its foot down, people will start storing anything everywhere in parking in different people's spots. I know there's some people who actually built an entire um, gym during the COVID period in two parking spots that were not even their own. <laughs> they literally drilled them bars and they're fine. Okay, so it's obviously, so somebody from the VAD has to come and say, hey, you can't do this, get out or we will do whatever, or let's say people invite, one okay. person invited 15 people to the pool, okay? And again, you don't stop them, it'll keep going. So you have to tell them your chip is going to be invalidated tomorrow. So, I, and that, so I, I would assume that either then the VAD gets crazy and starts over-controlling, or the notices, the ideas, they have to have very distinct line. Otherwise, these people will just go haywire. Okay. So that's, at a, I'm not being psychological at all. I'm just saying practically. Okay. So in other words, I, I was sort of like implying that these are sort of like these, uh, you know, pencil pusher tyrants who are just letting, uh, allowing themselves to, you know, oppress people. You're saying that because of the tendency, the laissez-faire tendency and not caring about, you know, what's going on of repercussions, unless you not have this. It's basically pushing the envelope and, you just okay. assume everything is fine until you're told differently. In right. other words, everything is allowed unless somebody comes down hard on you, and then you will argue and disregard it unless you have some harsh penalties, so, and then finally you'll um, you'll abide. Uh, so, like, un- un- unlike what I- I'm assuming Japanese society, where there's a certain sense of that you don't uh, violate things. No, because in Japanese society. You, it's the opposite. You are really part of the greater whole, and whatever the greater whole wants, obviously you want as well. So there, it sort of aligns. In other words, it's almost like it's almost like a Tokyo uh, citizen, you know, based on I guess you know maybe even uh, you know years and years of uh, of their civilization, centuries of their civilization, is really more primed for this sardine life. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and to be successful, whereas here we actually taking a lot of immigrants, people from various countries in, in North Africa and in North America and Europe. And, and, and despite the fact that some of them have been there for a generation or two, there's still this sort of cultural attitude that, hey, push as far as you can get away with till somebody tells you no. And, 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 and pushing that into the sardine society needs to have that sort of like iron fist pushback from the Vaden. That's, I, I believe, well, like what, for, what you're For saying. instance, people, the idea of waiting online doesn't exist unless it's enforced. If you're on the bus, you don't get on because everybody cuts and right. If you're at a regular supermarket, people will go in right away. Then it's up to you to start an argument with them. And then it's up to them to decide how responsive they want to be at the argument rather than just ignore you, what you're mm-hmm. saying, and just get in anyway. Uh, so, so you're actually, I know you're a member of this VOD, so you're actually in a way justifying and explaining that if, if, if there wouldn't be this sort of ticky-tack attitude, you would have, you would have chaos. And but at the would, micro level, let me just say that, of course, uh, um, except for the, the current um, speaker here, people <laughs> who want to be on the VOD or get on the VOD are autocratic people in nature who want to get their their their, their day in, in in the limelight where they can push people around you know i i can tell you it wasn't me because i had to have my arm twisted by friends saying we need some normal anglo over here mm. and, uh, and and by the way it's been twisted to the edge already i don't think i'm doing this again because simply i have a hard time dealing with my um um shall we say middle eastern compatriots 
on the committee. It's, it's very trying. But no, no, that is not to say that people don't get into this because they need to do this to get them some jollies for their ego. They do. Right. Yeah. The pe- most of the people that are, and, and it might. And it's some- true for policemen. It's true for prison wardens. It's true for some parents, some teachers. That's what's motivating them is their need to be dominant in a way that's not socially reprehensible. And, and, and therefore passionately insist that the rules be followed, even though what's at stake is only the color scheme of how something might appear from the outside because mm-hmm. it's written in the, in the bylaws. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it really is, a, you know, again, a, you know, Israel has always been a fascinating social experiment from the days of the kibbutzim uh, till today. Um, you know, and again, like you say, it might be the field of sociology, but I think its sister or its older cousin, uh, psychology, is, is is also going to reap the benefits of, of of that experiment in terms of you know what does that what 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 has happened you know what is it that we have have spawned and created uh, you know I, I always thought Sam that there was like a holdover. You know, and again, we're talking sociology, not psychology now, but sort of a holdover from like a British socialist system that that they can't shake. You know, the you know, this is not a libertarian country. There's almost you know they it was it, the, the infrastructure of of modern Israel was British, and there's something still in that mindset of you know of 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 the ministry of this and the ministry of that and the paperwork and you know the you know, it, it, and it's in, in, in the Brits hopefully have enough humor to make fun of themselves, but we know that it's a we know that it's a it, it's a it's a typical stereotype. I um, would add that there's also an overlay of a major influx of the um, Soviet kind of mentality, which is also very doctrinaire and very um, uh, uh, officialdom uh, uh, rooted. And that, that dovetails very nicely with the, with the old, um, rigid way of looking at things. The, uh, right. Many of the, the right. Russian uh, administrators fit so nicely in here. Like you go to motor vehicles, all you can deal with are with Russians. So you go to hospital administrators, they're all Russians, and you feel they're back somewhere in the Kremlin. In the <laughs> okay, so we know the difference, though, however, that the Brits you know, are almost slavishly connected to the, the punctilious nature of following the laws, whereas the Russians, you know, use it. In other words, yes, yeah. there's yeah. there's reams of paperwork about what you have to do, but you know that it's all being uh, used in yeah. some sort of devious way for the uh, for these guys to stay in power and say, no. We've learned, that, we've learned that here, that when you get up to a Russian official, you make some small talk first. And then they say, "All right, sure, why not?" So they can cut, they can tear it. Whereas the, you know, the the British proper ones, I think, would never have done that. So it's interesting right. how that's been replaced. You know, you know, you, you know, the good old American sense of, you know, don't tread on me and stay out of the, you know, the stay. Let's have small government or stay out of my backyard. Despite the uh, the amount of a- Americans that are that have emigrated, they don't seem to have brought that. Uh, with them in a way that can make a a big difference in the way things function there. No, I mean, the idea of individual mindedness, signs on aisles to make it easier, doesn't exist. The concept of putting up, let's say, um, signs on roads. Nah, 
No, because that's the individual. So long as the overall planners and the bus routes and the taxis know what's going on, the individuals falling through the cracks is not an issue. Again, because it's more group. Now it's you are, it's not just you we're dealing with. We're dealing with the whole system. We're taking care of the system. So stop your individual belly aching. Ask someone, get some help. I'm just wondering as we close over here, if, if even in Israel, if there would be, I don't know if you have yet, you don't have the population to justify it. But as we talk about the expansion of this country, you know, and you're always hearing from Hasbara, come over here already, just come, there's room for you. But let's talk about the fact that there are places where you could go to Eretz Yisrael, where it might not be Brooklyn or Elizabeth, but it's sort of closer to that, right? There are places in the north, there are places, whether it's Naria or other places where... Oh, Bet Shemesh, you don't have to go that far. There are, I mean, 40 minutes out of, or Efrat, there are 40 minutes out of, 30 minutes out of... Main Jerusalem, you have places so, where you kind of think you're living in in, in Asbury Park. Sure. So, so in a way, it would be interesting to sort of like, you know, do a study of the difference in Israel between those two types of communities. Mm-hmm. Communities yeah. where there are villas, communities where it's not impossible to uh, to have your own backyard, your own little space. And wonder if, if 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 that's going to impact the groupthink mentality um, and, and and all these other factors that we've talked about, and even the positive ones about interconnectivity and patriotism. I mean, that that might be a, a good study for someone to in Israel itself. Um, you know, and, I can tell you, there's a lot of individuality among the upper class in various of the suburbs around Tel Aviv. Quite a, a bit of, including, um, shall we say, a total eschewing of armed services, uh, um, uh, um, being in the armed services among non-religious, among non-religious intellectuals. That's just not part of their thinking because as soon as they're finished with their work, they go back to their areas where they really see themselves as individuals. So, so in other words, is, is it as we say in alumni should talk? Is it a simon or a seba? In other words, the, obviously they're wealthy enough because of their education to afford homes where they can actually have a sense of uh, of 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 of, of, a, of, a, of an existence separate from everybody sardining yeah. them. Mm-hmm. But you know, does is that also now a seba for uh, them thinking differently about things because they're mm-hmm. in that spot? Uh, you know yeah, that, sure. that that would be something that that you know would also be interesting uh, you know and, and and one thing i think sam that i i noted um is that and 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 you could talk to this because you're obviously in in the world of academia and you 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 interact with them do you believe <clears throat> that the level of sophistication in um of, of understanding ideas. We're not talking about being a maverick thinker or going out of the box, but just being able to even express arguments and seeing different sides. And I'm not saying that you're not stuck to one more than the other, but do you feel that the average level of sophistication is stronger in Israel? I, I, I remember, let me just tell you why. I remember uh, watching a, document, a documentary uh, of about children uh, who were being in a an experiment that they had of Palestinian and Israeli children together, and and, and the the profundity and the 
depth of these small children understanding what it means, what, what, what the army is asking you, the, the differences between the two groups, it seemed to be operating at a, at, at, at much, uh, not at, a, at the same type of juvenile level I would have expected in the United States. They seem to be aware and not just parroting what their parents were saying. Uh, do, do you think that, 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 you know, Israeli and sometimes, and maybe it's because it's Hebrew versus English, when I sometimes listen to Israeli commentators, they, they seem to, the, the ideas come fast and furious, and in many ways quicker um, than, than it does here in the, in, in the West. Is, is what I'm saying just my, uh, an illusory perception? What I hear is a couple of factors, and they're all true, and I think they add up to something that you're touching on. The fact that people speak Hebrew so quickly means that they're really zooming through it. And I do find that you have, like, in medicine and in academia, some brilliant insights, like turning the table like a hafakar al turning something precisely around. It's an insight that goes through the many tech innovations come from deliberately thinking out of the box and getting things done nicely. But what they lack is a thoroughness. They've revolutionized checking out systems here in the supermarkets, electronic gadgets. It's phenomenal what you can do without waiting a line or whatever. But inevitably, the glitch comes. And when the glitch comes, you're in a lot of trouble. They will unpack. You'll stand there for a half hour. Somebody unpacks three wagons of grocery. They go through every item by hand and it backs up the lines like crazy. But the system itself is beautiful. If only they would have gotten rid of the kinks. But they don't get rid of the kinks because either they don't have the patient perspective here. I think that uh, you've given maybe some people pause about coming there to Israel and, and, and what, what, it, what, what it, what's, what's entailed in it. But I think you've also given us a, a taste of some of the you know the quicksilver uh, ideas that that you could probably get on a on Diesendorf uh, square that you probably aren't going to be able to get in your typical suburban mm-hmm. suburban area and, and in some ways you know there, there there's a there's an excitement there that you know perhaps yeah. if we can if we I guess if we can neutralize like, oh no well it's still fun to live here both yes. like, you know well, both intellect, intellectually as well it's fun because at least you've got the beginning of the conversation going and you don't have to you don't have to start from you don't have to start from first principles people are are, are ready to engage and to clash uh, to clash swords with you well take care sam we shall hopefully uh clash swords ourselves maybe not not clash swords but at least (laughs) at least at least show our sabers and shine them up uh, towards each other and uh, always in a positive way take care we'll see you Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.